Hello, and welcome back to Speaking Refugee, the Volner podcast. My name is Sham Jeff, and I'm glad you joined us again to a six parts podcast series in which we explore the different meanings of vulnerability. This podcast is a part of the Volner Project, a research project that aims to understand the vulnerabilities faced by migrants to enable decision makers to better identify situations of vulnerabilities and to address them. In this podcast, we want to focus on the individual experiences and feelings that constitute the vulnerability of refugees and that are often overlooked. We aim to bring together scientific fieldwork and the stories of refugees. In the past three episodes of this series, we looked at the topics home, family, and food, and we asked why and how they impact feelings of vulnerability. If you haven't listened to those episodes yet, we recommend that you do that first. Today we are going to talk about another factor of vulnerability, gender. As in our first episodes, you will meet Jamila, a refugee from Afghanistan. I just wanted to do something with women because I raised up in Afghanistan. I knew the situation in Afghanistan, especially for women. Fatima, a social worker in the MENA region. Women face a lot of inequalities, and these inequalities are, you know, increase in situations when vulnerabilities increase. And Gabriel, a former refugee, now teacher in a refugee settlement in Uganda. Women here get face a lot of challenges. Surviving in this camp is not easy for a woman. But before we begin, a quick note. In this episode, we will be talking about sexual violence and some issues that we discuss could cause distress or may raise triggers for listeners. We will provide chapter marks that can be skipped in case you need to protect yourself. Many international treaties have focused on women's rights and the protection of girls, such as the UN Security Council Resolution 1325, which addresses the impact of war on women, or the Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Discrimination Against Women, adopted in 1979 by the UN General Assembly. Protecting women's rights on a global level has been the United Nations' aim for several decades now. And it is still important. Until today, gender can play a great role in constituting a person's vulnerability, especially in the context of forced migration. To start, we think the Forced Migration Research Network of the University of New South Wales, gave a good insight and summary to the aspect of gender in refugees' vulnerability. They wrote in 2017, The experience and potential vulnerabilities of women and girls are significantly different from those of men and boys. Cultural differences often give women lower social status and place them in a position of dependency to men. Lack of educational opportunities make it more difficult for them to access decision-making positions and safe livelihoods opportunities. And with regard to the special needs and vulnerabilities of female refugees, they added, 
They also face multiple additional barriers accessing services, including legal protection, reproductive and other health services. Something as basic as the lack of sanitary materials for menstruating girls and women can prevent participation in activities, which address vulnerability. Other barriers include inaccessible asylum systems and gender-blind needs assessments, limited access to education, pathways to appropriate employment, reproductive health care and safe livelihood opportunities. Gender, next to other factors such as health or age, plays a central role at different levels when vulnerabilities are being assessed in reception centers and by social workers. Sophie Nakuera, author of the Volna Report on Uganda, notes Members of these groups are generally marginalized due to the cultural stigma attached to disability and paternalistic attitudes based on gender and age. When we talk about gender, it is very important to talk about cultural discrimination and to look at stereotypes and a very long history of gender oppression. Because, historically, gender oppression is shaped by cultural practices, religion, societal norms, conventions, and even laws. Women and girls are seen as the main victims of gender oppression, resulting from a patriarchal socioeconomic system that exists in most societies and cultures worldwide, though the extent of the oppression might vary. However, Anyone who doesn't comply with traditional gendered roles can be targeted and marginalized as well. So let's have a look at the role gender plays in the three regions we focus on in our series, Belgium, Uganda and Lebanon. Fatima who is working with Besme in Zaytune in the MENA region, MENA is short for Middle East North Africa, told us about gender inequalities that she encountered with her work. In the MENA region, women uh, face a lot of inequalities, and these inequalities are, you know, increase in uh, situations when vulnerabilities increase, for example, in situations similar to displacement. And the Syrian context is not different from the MENA uh, region in that sense, where women face these systematic inequalities. Fatima has told us about the difficult situation for many refugees in Lebanon before, in the previous episodes. Most of the refugees in Lebanon are Syrian. The Volna report on Lebanon also states that refugees enjoy few rights in Lebanon. And when it comes to women, the authors of the report write... Actually, and unlike its constitution equality principle, Lebanese society is still a patriarchal one where discrimination against women can be found on many levels and in several legislations, whether criminal code, labor laws, code of commerce, or most importantly, the personal status law. To sum the repercussion on women in Lebanon, Human Rights Watch said that, quote, Lebanon's religion-based personal status laws discriminate against women across the religious spectrum and don't guarantee their basic rights. End of quote. And as you know, like many uh, Syrians were displaced to Lebanon, lacking their access to their basic rights increased those inequalities for women. 
There have been several attempts on the legal level to increase the protection of women and girls in Lebanon. In recent years, Lebanon has witnessed several important changes to its legislative framework governing the gender dimension to provide more protection to women and less discrimination. This was the result of a battle led by women activists and organizations that has placed huge pressure on policymakers through effective campaigning. But the Volner research shows that still many obstacles hinder the access of female refugees to this protection. And the report lists two main reasons why. The lack of legal residency can seriously impact access to protection. Although the public prosecutor can issue a decision asking officials to disregard the lack of legal residency for the displaced seeking protection, it is not clear to what extent this is being implemented, especially that women are afraid to approach public authorities. We have talked about this in our previous episodes, but let me stress this again. In Lebanon... One of the main sources for different kinds of vulnerabilities regarding home or food are connected with lack of legal residency. And the second reason. Cultural values obstruct the access to justice. In fact, quote, while there are anecdotal reports of violence against women, assessments on the prevalence of violence against women are scarce. Underreporting is common due to shame or fear of stigmatization. And fear can be a very powerful mechanism when it comes to women's rights. There is a sense of fear, inability to make decisions in many cases, and um, increased violence actually, given the tension that situations that they live in, um, in many cases, uh, maybe economic uh, disparities that they experience, increases the tension at the household level. Or amongst men, you know, they have traditional roles that they are expected to fulfill. However, when they are unable to fulfill these uh, roles, given that there is not job opportunities, they can't access enough income or so, they can't provide for the family. So they start taking this frustration out on their families or like, you know, smaller households. All over the world, gender-based violence can take place in the public or the private sphere. As Women for Women, an organization that provides a broad array of vital support and education for women around the world, states, gender-based violence can happen in the private or public sphere, in kitchens and bedrooms and streets, markets and boardrooms, or in the refugee camps. We also want to address the challenges and vulnerabilities of people from the LGBTQIA community. People who identify as lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or otherwise queer. In many home countries of queer refugees all over the world, either they had no rights at all, or they were persecuted, sentenced, imprisoned, or tortured for their identity. And unfortunately, That also applies to some of the countries in which they live now. The Volner report on Lebanon found 
Lebanon still prosecutes LGBTQI plus relations under Article 534 of the Panel Code, which states, quote, Any carnal union against the order of nature shall be punished with imprisonment for up to one year. End of quote. Even if the system seems to progressively evolve towards a decriminalization of LGBTQI plus relations, Article 534 is still being used by security forces as grounds for the arrest on the sole basis of their gender identity or sexual orientation. And it continues. LGBTQI plus people in Lebanon are part of vulnerable communities, victims of unpunished discriminations from private individuals or public institutions and public officers. Still, the LGBTQI plus question was not highlighted as a priority issue facing refugees in Lebanon. Those who uh, actually practice or like show their identity, um, they are treated, you know, like aggressive way or, you know, they suffer from harassment or lack of access to, you know, like uh, basic uh, services, including health services. One of the stories that I have heard of a member of uh, the LGBTQ uh, community was living in a place with their partner. However, there was um, physical uh, violence they have encountered with their partner and they were considering seeking legal uh, support. However, they could not access that because they were concerned about their own safety when it comes to revealing you know, the nature of the relationship of them and their partner. So they had to avoid that and they had to escape their place of living. So one of the organizations that we work with provided them with shelter and uh, they were referred to us to provide them with basic uh, assistance, which we did. Being part of the LGBTQIA community, being queer, this means a special kind of vulnerability, because so often people still have to hide it. This makes seeking help even harder, and it is very often not recognized in the humanitarian laws of a country. That also counts for Uganda. In the Volner report on the country, Sophie Nakuera writes, In spite of various commitments to protect vulnerable persons, such as women, elderly children, people with disabilities, as exemplified in various national and international laws, one group is excluded. People in the LGBTIQ plus category. Homosexuality is criminalized in Uganda's Penal Code Act as an unnatural offense and the same statute provides that anyone who attempts to commit an unnatural offense is liable to imprisonment for seven years. Being recognized as vulnerable and receiving the necessary care in a dangerous situation is not yet a given for queer people in Uganda and Lebanon. It can be even dangerous. Anti-LGBTQ laws and cultural stigma prevent that all refugees, regardless of their gender identity or sexual orientation, receive the same security and support. Let's stay in Uganda for now 
and take a closer look at how experiences of vulnerabilities among refugees in Uganda have strong gendered dimensions. We talked to Gabriel, who works as a teacher in the Nake Valley refugee settlement, about the different challenges he notices for women and girls on the one side and men and boys on the other. He grew up in the settlement himself as he fled Burundi in the 1990s with his mother and siblings. He observes that being a woman, it is not easy. It can be even dangerous. The following contains the description of sexual violence. So maybe you want to skip this chapter. Women here get face a lot of challenges. Surviving in this camp, it's not easy for a woman. You know, men can do risky activities, but for women, it's not easy. Because a man can wake up at five, early in the morning, going far, but a woman can't do it. The risks of being raped, it's not easy for a woman to survive here. Gabriel has a wife and a daughter, and he is often concerned about their safety. When we talk to him... He got quite upset. It makes me feel like we're not safe. It can also happen to my wife. It can happen to everyone, to my daughter, to my friends. The problem, according to him, is not in particular the safety of the settlement where he works and lives with his family, but the environment surrounding the settlement. We receive different cases of women who are being raped. There is a woman who was raped when she was going to Disney nearby the hosty communities around to work. So they have tried to arrange a network of friends and neighbors that aims to protect each other, to watch after each other. For example, when Gabriel has to leave the settlement for a job far away. You're going to work very far. You've been in touch with them and you tell them where you're going. For example, I can say I'm going to work from far, maybe Kampala. I stay in touch with friends. I inform them where I work from so that if anything happens, they will hurry to trace Kumi. So I share with them the address and everything. But not only women experience sexual violence or even rape on the refugee journey or in the settlements. Sofina Cuera notes in her Volner report on Uganda. Several conversations with members and the president of Men of Peace revealed the stigma of being a male survivor of sexual violence. The hardships of trying to access psychosocial support from mostly young female psychosocial support counselors and the difficulty of fulfilling conjugal rights due to past trauma. The general conception of society is that a man is too strong to be raped, as the leader of Man of Peace told me. While, in a way, we are used to talk about the sexual violence against women, and several international organizations and treaties are trying to tackle it, reduce it, and make the world a safer place for women, the situation for men who are survivors of sexual abuse or rape is different. Even if given the chance to attend self-help groups organized by organizations like Men of Peace, They struggle because of fear of stigma, 
as Sofina Coera writes. Explaining the prevalence of sexual violence against men during war and the associated shame that comes with it, he said while many men from different countries had experienced it, they were too embarrassed to join the group. In Lebanon and in Uganda, sexual violence and the vulnerability of LGBTQ plus people are a big threat to the safety of women, girls and queers. There have been some advances to protect these vulnerable groups, but they are still depending on lawmakers making a stronger effort and also on the society who has to address the stigma and shame regarding LGBTQIA persons. Those groups, as well as men who have experienced sexual violence, have to be integrated in the assessment process and they very often need trained personnel to open up about their identity and traumatizing experiences. Sometimes it is individuals like Fatima who come to help people with such a stigma. Some organizations have begun to open up for their needs too. In Uganda, as Sophie Nakoera writes, there are several focal points for identifying survivors of sexual and gender-based violence such as Legal Aid International, Tutapona, Allied and the police. However, other aid agencies can identify as well in the course of assessing for protection needs that fall within their mandate. But... Due to the large number of protection seekers that report sexual assault and who as a result need psychosocial counseling to address the resulting trauma or distress, this raises issues around the quality of counseling they get given the shortage of aid stuff reported by various agencies. So there is still a long way to go. As you remember from our first episodes, we have talked to three people from three different countries with three different perspectives – Besides Gabriel, the teacher from Uganda, and Fatima, the social worker from the Mina region, we also talked to Jamila. She fled Afghanistan with her husband, who she lost in Greece. And now she lives a single mom's life with her two kids of two years and seven months in Belgium. We talked to her about her journey and how difficult it was for her as a pregnant woman with a little child of just one year by her side. It was the worst experience of my life uh, when I left Afghanistan. I was a pregnant lady with a small, another kid. It was not much easy. Mm, a lot of difficulties, a lot of problems. I couldn't walk. And I couldn't rest, not even for one hour, or sleeping. All the time I was just running, just running, just running. That was the worst experience. Till now I have pain in my legs. We asked her if she experienced some difficulties because of her gender, apart from her pregnancy. Of course, of course, uh, when we were on the way to escape from Afghanistan, I was not going side by side by men. The men were jumping. I could not. I was a woman and also I was pregnant. How would I jump from somewhere, some spaces? 
how would I run? I'm sure that if I would be not pregnant, I would not do the same things that men were doing on the way. She and her husband left the country before the international troops were withdrawn and the Taliban took over. I escaped July and they captured Afghanistan on August. I was working in Afghanistan. I was working with NGOs, with Afghan women rights. So, you know, the people, they are not allowing anyone now that who are, especially the women that were uh, working for women. So they were treating me. They were treating me that stop this kind of work and don't raise your voice for women. Otherwise, we will kill you. Still, she was devastated when she heard that the Taliban had captured her home country. And sometimes? Sometimes I'm also thinking that I'm lucky. Sometimes I'm thinking that when I was there during the Taliban was here, that already the organization that you work with them, they will take you out. Sometimes I'm thinking that I was lucky. Maybe the luckiest, not lucky. The luckiest. So just I, uh, I escaped before. But sometimes I'm thinking that I hope I wish I was there to take out all my family with me on the day that the German, the British consuls announced that the female or male who was uh, working with human rights with an organization, we will take them out. So sometimes also wishing that I wish they, I would be there to take all my family out. Because I was working in Afghan women's rights in Afghanistan. So the organization that I was working was belonging to Caritas. So my colleagues are now in German, full. All my colleagues with their family. Jamila isn't sure if she would have made it out alive. But seeing her colleagues safe in Germany together with their families, it makes her wish she had had that possibility too. When we asked Jamila if she had experienced gender discrimination in Afghanistan before she had to leave, before the Taliban took over, she told us about a situation when her father was sick. Yes, sometimes you realize that you are a woman, not a man. Because in Afghanistan, the situation is like this. Uh, One day, my father was sick, and I need to show him for the doctor. It was maybe 11 or half past, something like that. So I was just watching for someone to take me to the hospital with my dad. I realized if I would be a boy, so I could carry my dad anytime. No need for any neighbors, any cousins, no one. But I was a woman. I needed someone on that time to take me to the hospital with my dad. Half of the time you real, in Afghanistan, you realize that you're a woman, not a man. And here, maybe they have the same equality, same gender. But in Afghanistan, no. In every family, there should be a boy. It must be, because anytime you, you need it, anytime. For midnight, you cannot go outside to take something. If you're a boy, you can take it. Anytime you can go. 
On that time, I realized that I should be a boy, a boy of my dad, not a girl. Jamila was very aware of the discrimination of women in her home country, to that extent that it even shaped her decision to work in the field of women's rights. I just wanted to do something with women because I raised up in Afghanistan. I knew the situation in Afghanistan, especially for women. This decision became the main reason for Jamila and her family to leave. It was her work for women's rights that she had done for years in Afghanistan, since 2014. The Taliban had not yet taken over power fully, but the situation for people working in the women's rights field it became more and more dangerous. And Jamila, having a family, a little child, and being pregnant, she decided to leave. Every time they were just threatening me. They were just threatening me. So it wasn't easy for me to live there anymore. So I just escaped. I just quit everything. I just quit my job. I just left. When she was on the run with her husband and had to decide if she wanted to come to Europe or not, her gender was addressed by the smugglers who made her leave her husband. The smuggler didn't tell me that where we are going. He just told me that where we are going, it would be a safe place. You would have your human rights, woman rights, everything. But it was an unclear place for me. The smugglers directly used a vulnerable situation, especially many women from Afghanistan are in, by addressing the women's rights situation in Europe. But they didn't tell Jamila where exactly she would be going. It's like it didn't even matter. In Belgium, the gender dimensions in asylum seekers' experiences of their vulnerabilities is directly addressed by social workers and officers in the reception centers. As Sylvie Sarolea, Francesca Raimondo, and Zoe Krien note in the Volner report on Belgium, The fieldwork confirmed that gender is among the main sources of vulnerability. At the same time, gender is often used as a strategic tool to obtain protection. Migrant women are generally considered as vulnerable, not because they are women, but for a wide array of reasons that stem from their gender. These reasons can be... First, the condition in the country of origin, both in the family environment, for example female genital mutilation or forced marriage, and in the more general traditional context, could render them vulnerable and become push factors into leaving the country. Second, the migratory journey is a factor of vulnerability for women who are often victims of mainly sexual violence along the way. Even though this vulnerability is not connected to the reasons of persecution, it can overshadow the primary reasons for fleeing the country. Third, women also experience vulnerability after their arrival in Belgium, both because of the asylum procedure itself and the difficulties in conforming to a society whose codes they do not know and because of the risk of falling into patterns that would worsen their precariousness and dependency, such as prostitution networks. And they also address motherhood, noting that especially unwanted pregnancies and taking care of children could represent an additional vulnerability factor. The authors conclude 
that the multifaceted vulnerabilities of women require asylum judges and protection officers to adapt their practice during the hearings. And regarding the LGBTQ community, they state, Asylum seekers who belong to an LGBTQIA plus community are generally considered vulnerable. However, their specific vulnerabilities are not easy to detect, given the taboo on this matter, even when they represent the basis for the asylum's application. These vulnerabilities cannot always be adequately addressed. In addition, the authors note that bringing an LGBTQ plus identity in the life of a reception center could be intimidating and can even lead to intolerant or mocking behaviors, they suggest. One option would be transfers to more suitable centers where LGBTQIA profiles are more easily accommodated. Similar to the report on Uganda, the authors of the Belgium report state that men also deserve special attention in terms of gender. The fieldwork showed that gender should also include male asylum seekers, although men are typically seen as strong, independent and able to control their feelings, they are also vulnerable. Their vulnerabilities are simply less visible because of gender bias and the imaginary of the strong man. The Belgian report shows various ways of carefully and appropriately considering the issue of gender when working with asylum seekers. We recommend to read the reports if you are interested in more details. On the field, solutions to gender discrimination often start with small changes, as Fatima told us. For like single women or like women-headed households, many express an increased ability, you know, to access social life or that they have been, uh, you know, engaging in the public sector more, given that they felt that they had to rely on themselves, they had to provide for themselves or for their dependent members. They were willing to take new roles, which they did not used to be traditional for them. For example, one of the women had started her own bakery business. But... However, looking at this from different angle, it's not a real change. It's not actually women now have, or like, you know, single women or women-headed households now have access to work. Or like, you know, now they have more freedom or liberty as a result of displacement. It's temporary because once this situation ends, once they have, uh, like, they engage in a small family unit or like maybe displacement ends, these women, they will experience the previous inequalities that they've been through because the change was not systematic. It was not change of mentality. It was not a change of trends in society. When it comes to gender and vulnerabilities, most countries still have a long way to go. Women's rights and the human rights of LGBTQ plus people are very often missing or lacking implementation. Gender-based violence is not under control in most of the regions in the world, and it very often is the reason for women and girls to leave a country to save their lives. As Gabriel told us, making sure that women and girls are protected from gender-based and sexual violence, it should be a central part of every settlement. 
This can also mean to make sure women and girls are protected on their ways to work or school or whenever they have to leave the settlement. And we learned that gender often overlooks the violence and trauma experienced by men. Due to narrow gender roles, the stigma and shame play an important role and often make it almost impossible to tackle their needs and provide them with counseling. This was the fourth of six episodes of Speaking Refugee, the Volner podcast. In the upcoming two episodes, we will explore the topics health and capital. We will do this together with Fatima, Gabriel, and Jamila. We hope you'll join us again. My name is Sham Jeff, and thank you for listening. Until next time. The Volner Project is carried out by an international research consortium involving partners from nine research institutions located in six different countries. It is financed by the EU under the Horizon 2020 Work Program. This episode was designed by Haus 1, Karina Schröder, Sham Jaff, Katharina Alexander and Katrin Rönnecke, based on the input from the Volner team. Susanne Höb, Luc Leboeuf, Zoe Krien, Maria Malouf, and Sophie Nacoera. Editing and sound design, Karina Schröder. Script, Katrin Rönnecke. Music by Blue Dot Sessions. <laughs>